Today's special Hell Froze Over episode of the BS Podcast brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. It's October. There's baseball, hockey, basketball, NFL, and college football, and you need SeatGeek. Drop your old ticket app, use one bill for 2016, buy tickets and enter stadiums on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Today's episode also brought to you by Stamps.com. Stop relying on the post office. Just buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com right now and use promo code BS for a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in BS. Don't forget about any given Wednesday. We had Paul Pierce and Jay Glazer this week. It went against Game 7 of the World Series. I guarantee you didn't see it, but you can catch the re-airs all week and this weekend on HBO, HBO2, HBO Go. Uh, it's available. The Paul Pierce stuff, if you're an NBA fan, is really, really good. He had some great KG stuff. Don't forget to check out the ringer.com. Subtly redesigned this week. You'll be able to find content a lot easier. Don't forget to check out all the other Ringer podcast feeds as well. And one last thing. We have some new music for the Bill Simmons podcast. Tupac had a great run. Thank you to him. Thank you to his estate. We are moving forward in our second year. And this is pretty great, especially given the time in this week with the Cubs winning the World Series and how much Eddie Vedder loves the Cubs. Pearl Jam. We're going to be using music from them from a concert, two concerts actually, they did this summer at Wrigley, ironically enough. They're embarking on PJ25, their 25th anniversary together and they're going to do a whole bunch of fun and exciting things over these next few months and through 2016 2017 for all things Pearl Jam check out pearljam.com and right now we're going to introduce one of the many opening themes that we have for this podcast thanks to the Pearl Jam Wrigley concert here we go All right, Jacko and I have known each other since 1988, and way back when, before we even knew what a podcast was, I, I looked at him one night at 4.30 in the morning after he'd had 28 Guinnesses, and I said, if the Cubs ever win the World Series, we're doing a podcast the next day. And Jacko, and Jacko said, what the hell is a podcast? I was like, just trust me. It's going to be it's gonna be amazing. You, you, won't, you won't even believe it. Uh, so we have that, but also... People who remember this podcast from way back when it was on ESPN when it was called The BS Report, there's a guy by the name of Anthony Rizzo, who was a Red Sox prospect. There was a trade where the Red Sox got Adrian Gonzalez and gave up these prospects, including Anthony Rizzo, and it became a running joke on the podcast as, as you made fun of Rizzo, and Rizzo went to the right. Padres. He was terrible. Can you believe out of all people, that was the guy who had all these big hits and then was the guy who pockets the baseball of the 2016 Cubs World Series? Bill, I'm not here to talk about the past. <laughs> I'm invoking the Mark McGuire defense. No, it's actually uh, it's funny, and people have not been shy about uh, reminding me that on uh, about that incident on Twitter. At the time, I I was making a joke about how the well, not a joke. I was angry that the Red Sox had hijacked Adrian Gonzalez from the Padres for mm. for next to nothing, and I was alleging a conspiracy because Jed Hoyer 
the, the Theo's right hand man was now in San Diego. I think it was Jed Hoyer, right? Yeah, it was. It was some former Red Sox right hand man of Theo, and he. So I'm like, he's just giving away their best player, the guy that the Red Sox desperately need, and Adrian Gonzalez for for nothing. And you said no. Well, they gave up. The, they gave up Anthony Rizzo, and I'm like, Anthony Rizzo? Who's Anthony Rizzo? <laughs> I said famously, I won't be bouncing my grandkids on my knee telling them about Anthony Rizzo someday. Yeah. And Cubs fans have not been shy about. And poor Joe House got dragged into this yesterday because somebody tweeted at Joe House saying, you idiot, remember when you said you were going to bounce Anthony Rizzo on your you, know, you wouldn't be bouncing your grandkids in your knee talking about Anthony Rizzo. And House was like, I don't remember that, but I could have said it. And so I, I, you know, being chivalrous, I jumped in and took the heat. That was, it was nice. That was on me. I didn't want to have House dragged into this. Nice job. You know, um, so really, in retrospect, what I should have been making fun of you for low these eight years ago, or however many years ago it was, is that the Red Sox idiotically gave up Anthony Rizzo for Adrian <laughs> Gonzalez. <laughs> He's done one eighty. Yeah, you know who exactly. Looked, you know who looked nice on the Red Sox right now, Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, because then they couldn't wait to get Adrian Gonzalez out of town and had to beg, you know, the Dodgers bailed him out and got him off the hook for that contract. But you know, that in retrospect, he should have been wiser to hang on to Rizzo. So well, Jed it Hoyer, all worked out for Theo, who got rid of Rizzo and then ended up with him back. So and he ended up with Jed Hoyer too, the guy who traded for right. Rizzo, and then they went to the and he went to the Cubs and and they just jumped it together. So. Everybody had a happy ending except for you and me. So I guess it all worked out. <laughs> I, I was I was happy for the Cubs. I was having a lot of 2004 yeah. flashbacks. But, you know, speaking of Rizzo, I thought that was one of Francona's two biggest mistakes last night. He, he the, the first guy gets on before, oh, uh, Schwerber. Rizzo's yeah. up. Schwerber on second. They intentionally walk Rizzo. Now, we already have right. established that Rizzo is the most nervous guy in the stadium. Because they show the right, dugout right. thing. He has that clip with David Ross where he's like... I'm he was a, a glass of emotion or whatever. Yeah, yeah he's like... A glass I, case of emotion. He's like, I'm about to shit my pants. And right. even after when uh, when Zobra said that hit and Rizzo was on third base, like he was reacting like the guy in the when uh, the Grant Hill to Leitner pass, Thomas Davis on the Duke <laughs> bench. I probably right. would have pitched to Rizzo. I think he was super nervous, but that was weird. And then the other one, I'll, I'll never well, understand. I was, from a personal standpoint, I was very happy because I could just see Rizzo hitting a two-run homer there to win the Cubs their first <laughs> World Series in 108 years. And the Cubs fans who were already flaming me on Twitter would have gone to like an exponentially higher degree. And I would right. never live that down because I literally would then have to bounce my grandkids on my knee and, tell and about talk Rizzo. about how Rizzo broke the 108-year curse, you know? The other so I was one. Happy for the intentional walk. <clears throat> the other Francona thing I just didn't understand, and it was the all-time over management. By the way, Francona, great, unbelievable per- right. performance for five weeks. Game seven, weird stuff happens. When he took Coco Crisp out for yeah, for a guy that has like a one-shot deal to throw somebody out at home, right? Yeah, what were the odds that somebody's hitting a ball to him like three percent? This is something that. Um, that uh, Franconi used to do with Ortiz sometimes, and it would drive me crazy, yeah. where he would take Ortiz out in these games where, you know, for a pinch runner or something, and be like, wait a second, what if he comes up again? And, right. of course, you know, if Coco the Crisp is up... He had, three, he had three at-bats in the postseason. They, I think his name was, like, Martinez or something, right? Yeah, they said he's one of the worst hitters, like, who's ever right. come up in the World Series or something. He's, like, a 150 hitter. But, man, that was amazing. Uh, Although those moves totally build out Joe Madden because I still do not understand the Javi Baez bunt with two strikes with a guy on that third was and awful. one out. 
That was awful. I, I was like incredulous at that. I couldn't even tweet about it because I was just like, what is he doing? I mean, that would have been one of the all-timers right there. That and and pitching Chapman in game six in the 7-1 game when he's already running on fumes. I mean, that would have been second-guessed from here to eternity, the, both of those moves. Yeah, if that had been the Red Sox and Chapman came out for the ninth inning when we were up 9-2, to two, I think you would have just had to take me to the hospital. It was crazy that he pitched anyway. Like, if you don't trust your bullpen enough to protect a 7-2 lead for, you know, one or two more innings. But, man, that Joe Madden. Then the other one, I I thought he took Hendricks out way too early. Didn't understand that one. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like that at all because then you had to bring in David. Although it worked out, obviously David Ross hits the home run, but then right away you have the play with Lester where he where he bounced it off of David Ross who falls over and it immediately leads to two runs. So right away you're like, oh my god, what, what did he just gag here, Madden? That was I didn't understand taking Hendricks out at that point at all. I thought uh, I kept waiting for an internet meme last night of the Cubs celebrating and Chapman holding his left arm up like it was a torch, like it's off his body. He's just holding this amputated arm like it just fell off. And, and now he's celebrating with it. Chapman was dead. Chapman's never going to be the same, and they don't care because he's not going to be on the team next season probably. They're probably right. not they going to resign him. To him. It, right, because they, well, I'm happy, I'm happy because now the Yankees get him at a discount. You know, he gets four months off of rest, and his arm will be fine by spring training. I think he'll still be throwing 105. Did, Although it'd be proved in the postseason if you're throwing 105, but there's no movement, guys will cheat and you know get an early swing on it, and they'll put it, you can put it in play. So yeah. I may not be as high on Chapman as I once was, although he was lights out for the Yankees. Ironically, the guy that made me more nervous was Miller, and their roles got basically reversed in the postseason where Miller was unhittable until last night, and, and Chapman was very hittable, so or at least you know a little shaky. Did you feel like the Yankees had a small piece of that World Series with Miller and Chapman yesterday? <laughs> I did. I was happy because you know, there was Red Sox everywhere between Theo and Francona and yeah. Ross and, and Rizzo and Lester. I mean, there was Red Sox everywhere. So I was happy that, you know, of course, Miller, too. But he, well, he was most recently a Yankee. So I was happy that the Yankees had a little piece of Coco. it. Like, somebody on Twitter, I saw a joke, and it said, oh, this is just the way the Yankees wrote it up in spring training, like first Miller and then Chapman and, the, and you know, closing out the game. So it was kind of funny. And people were killing me. Oh, well, the Yankees gave away their, these two guys. But the Yankees were not going to the World Series. The Yankees were not winning the World Series this year. So when you have only two commodities, two assets, and you can trade them for future players, it was a smart move for Cashman. I have no regrets. But it was a little weird because I was so fired up in spring training with their bullpen and then to see it really did work out where they were keys to a postseason run just for two different teams. The blueprint. It was the process. You know, the only person who should be getting killed on Twitter is LeBron James for doing the three-to-one cookies. At the Halloween party over the weekend, which I don't think they won another game after he did that. And wow, is that an unbelievable karma switch. Not to mention, he was a Yankee fan until like eight years ago. I thought he was a Yankee fan until last night. I mean, wasn't he wearing Yankee hats at games like as recently as like last year? Uh, Didn't he go to like? I've seen him wear Yankees. I I don't know. I can't prove this, but I know I've seen pictures on the internet of him in a Yankees hat more recently than eight years ago. No. Yeah, probably. Did his return to did his return to Cleveland? Does he just erase everything now? Like, is he all in on the Browns and the and the Indians now too? Yeah, he's like you with Rizzo. He's not here to talk about the past. Because <laughs> I don't, I'm not like a Skip Bayless where I'm going to light up LeBron. I'm, I'm ambivalent about LeBron, but it's like if you're wearing a Yankees hat all the time at, at different baseball games, and now you're in a box and like flexing when Cleveland, you know, when Rajai Davis hit the tying home run and. 
you're all in on Cleveland. I get it. He's, you know, from Akron or whatever. He's Cleveland's native son, Ohio's native son. But, you know, okay, I get it. If you're just going to embrace that and everything, but, you know, it, 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 I don't know. It's I like little, when you... Little, little pseudo. The Skip Bayless thing. That's the hottest seat in sports, Jacko. Right now, you're sitting in it. Yeah. Uh I, I just I've never seen that show, but just to watch those they had you know beating us over the head with commercials for it. Skip Bayless is totally committed. Like how he can sit there with a straight face. I don't I don't follow the NBA and that nowhere near obviously your following of it. But to sit there and say LeBron is not a top five NBA player, like is he just committed to that nonsense? I love it. Does he really believe that, or he just knows like he's got to wear that as an act now? I think it's performance art. I think it's yeah. I mean, he, I mean, honestly, anybody with two eyes, you cannot say LeBron is not one of the five best players in the NBA. I think he does believe it. Uh, Jesus. Wait, we anyway. have some some questions. I have some questions for you. Was that the oh, big? Good. Okay. Was that the biggest baseball game of your lifetime? Well, I can't say that for my for my lifetime because the Yankees weren't involved. I mean, the biggest. No, no, game I'm not of saying personal. Is, I'm not saying personal. Oh. I'm saying the biggest baseball game of our lifetime. Well. I, yeah, from a historical standpoint, you'd have to say so. With 108 years on one side, and what was it for the Indians? 78 years on the other. Is that right? 52. Yeah, it's 16, like 68, 68 years on the other yeah. side. I mean, you know, two tortured franchises to go into extra innings and then have the rain delay. Like I couldn't. You know, I felt nervous, and I really couldn't care less about either team. I mean. I'm ambivalent about the Cubs and the Indians. I don't have strong feelings one way or another. So just as a fan of sports, I was nervous, and you found yourself getting wrapped up in it. I can only imagine if you were a fan of one of those teams. So, yeah, given the history and and the caliber of play and and as good as the game was, yeah, probably the biggest game in in sport. Yeah. Well, Miracle on Ice is the biggest one ever, but in terms of baseball, yes. We didn't, but when Miracle on Ice happened, first of all, it was tape delayed. Yeah, and. And I was 10, 9 or 10, so nine. Yeah, and we kind of retroactively realized the stakes. Right. Or realized it, it in the game it was. This one, it was, was like... too young to understand it, really, yeah. Yesterday, just going into the game, I'm thinking, like, I thought Mets-Red Sox Game 7, 1986, was the biggest yeah. baseball game because it's coming off Buckner. There was a rain out. The Red Sox had this curse, which was ironically 68 years and it's New York and it's Boston and that how can this game be bigger than that one maybe it could be as big but not, and the more i'm thinking about it i'm like of course this is bigger this is 108 yeah. years against 68 years somebody has to win two things we never thought we'd ever see in our lives <laughs> right and then i mean you really sat down and you're like either the Cleveland Indians or the Chicago Cubs are going to be the world series champion tonight it's like a lot to get your head around because our whole life they've both been they've both been terrible so to even contemplate that is pretty crazy well, and then on top of it, it's the only matchup where when there's a rain delay after the ninth inning of a Game 7 of the World Series and it's 6-6, six to six, and it just seemed like it was it was logical and maybe the game would just never finish. It would rain, yeah, it would rain, the world would end, and that was it. Would just, it would just, life would end with it being 6-6 six, six in the ninth. It was a distinct possibility, yes. I thought the rain delay was just an unbelievably fortuitous moment for the Cubs because oh, absolutely. you've been there with your team when yeah, yeah. when you have it and then you blow it and it's like the snowball rolling down the hill and you can't stop it and the momentum and the players have deer in the headlights and be, there becomes an inevitability. I would have bet anything the, the Indians were going to win. And then that yep. rain delay happens 
25 minute regroup we come to find out jason hayward's like al pacino on any given sunday apparently in the locker room it's all <laughs> yeah, about the inches <laughs> exactly turn the whole season around he justified that 100 billion dollar contract or whatever <laughs> with his 230 batting average he's there just to give locker room speeches he was four for 98 in the playoffs but gave the greatest <laughs> speech that's not been in a sports movie of the past 50 years so it was worth right. it but right. uh, since win one for the gipper but they totally regrouped, and yeah, I I really think that rain delay was like an act of God. The timing of it, everything. It's like it's you couldn't make this shit up. You really can't. It's proof. It's proof once again that God hates Cleveland because he made it rain. Installed their momentum. You theorized that Cleveland, that uh, Chicago, after they won the ALCS, was the drunkest yeah. city ever. But we didn't yeah. know. We didn't know last night was coming. We. No, I spoke too soon. I've. I won. I was lucky enough to root for three World Series champions. You were lucky enough to root for a whole bunch of them. Neither of us have ever experienced a game seven uh, come, not a come from behind, but all the shit that happened in that game. I don't even know how I. I don't know if I would have been standing by the end of that. No, I I, I would have been dead. I mean, you know, I I was lucky enough to see the Yankees go on a run in a dynasty in the late 90s, you know, in my in my 20s into 30s. And in 2003, you know, I had just seen them once four World Series. And in 2003 against the Red Sox, you, you wrote about this in your book where I said I was a corpse after the Aaron Boone thing, which that, yeah. that series almost killed me and that game almost killed me. I'm coming off a World Series as recently as three years before that. So when you have the weight of history, literally, like I, I was, people on Twitter after they clinched the NLCS, I was looking at things and thinking about it, and I'm like, the last time they won, Babe Ruth was 13 years old. Right. You know, my grandfather died 16 years ago, and he was 90. He wasn't born yet when they last won. He lived a full life to 90 and has been dead 16 years, and they still yeah. had not won in, his, in that time frame. You know, it's before the Titanic was even built, let alone sunk, and it's before World War, like 10, eight years before the U.S. got into World War One. It's crazy to think how long ago that was. So then to go to Game 7, extra innings and a rain delay with the weight of like your parents and your grandparents and hell, your great-grandparents never having seen them win. Oh, my God. I, I would be, I'd have been dead. I literally would be dead. Well, and especially have taken that game. thinking that you blew the game in the eighth inning, too, right. and that Madden blew it with Chapman, and now Chapman's right. got nothing left. You have no other pitcher that you totally trust. Do you bring Arietta right. in on a zero days rest? Like, right. I can't even imagine. I mean, I lived through it. I guess the closest I came was four and five in the, uh, in the ALCS and then six and seven, but specifically four and five. And that wasn't, you know, we weren't playing – for the World Series title, we're just trying to keep the series alive and try to turn the tables on the Yanks. It was nothing like this. I would say the closest you came probably, even though you'd already won a bunch of times, but Arizona Yankees 2001 was a little like this. Like you had some yeah, big well, come from behind games. I was lucky enough to be at game five of that World Series when, and the Yankee crowd was as dead as it could be. Yeah. They're down two to nothing. And then Scott Brocious hits the two run home run off Gin Hung Kim in the ninth inning. The place erupts. I've never been in a louder place in my life, like hugging complete strangers. People are jumping up and down. It was anarchy. So I have to imagine that's what it was like last night after the Rajay Davis home run, but even more so because, right. you know, you're carrying 68 years of history weight as an Indians fan. So it had to be insanity. And then, of course, it goes into extra innings and Alfonso Soriano wins wins the game. But so if there was happened to be a rain delay and it stalled all the momentum 
and Luis Gonzalez had given some <laughs> momentous locker room speech. Right. You know, I can only imagine what that would feel like the next day. And after you haven't won in 68 years, it's got to be just brutal. Just brutal. I was texting with... Baseball really has, like like no other sport, baseball has the ability to just rip your heart right out of your chest and stomp on it because you live and die on every pitch. And and it also brings back weird flashbacks. You know, like uh, last week, I think MLB Network was showing Game 7 of the uh, 1986 World Series, which I don't really think I've watched. And I realized as as I was kind of tuning into it a couple innings that... I blocked it out of my mind, like literally blocked it out of my mind. We had a three nothing lead in the sixth inning, which I didn't yeah. even I hadn't even thought about in twenty years. And I'm watching, and I'm just starting to get bummed out all over again that Bruce Hurst couldn't get out Keith Hernandez. And I'm thinking, like, we've won three World Series since this happened. Like, I I shouldn't yeah. care about this. So I was texting with Mike Sher about it, and he and I was like, I, I can't believe we were up three nothing. Like, I the curse. Like, why couldn't you get him out? And he's like, he's like, I. For him, he was like, uh, you know, all that pain was worth it because it led to 04. And I'm like, right. yeah, totally. I, I'm with you. I totally agree. And yet, there's still scars for still lingers. No, there's still scars, you know? like, it, Yeah. Watching the fans last night, watching the Cubs fans in the stands in the ninth inning after they had blown the lead and they kept showing different people and they show Theo and they show people biting their nails and people just with deer in the headlights – and I was just like, oh, my God. You, you just get these flashbacks of <laughs> some of the worst sports moments of your life. I think yeah, it would have been... baseball really is rough. Yeah, I think it would have been worse for them to lose than the Indians to lose. I, mean, I know the Indians fans are dying today, but sure. I think if the Cubs fans blow 6-3, oh. eighth inning, be, partly because of the... One. <laughs> Five to one, six three. Partly because your manager used Chapman in a seven to two game for three innings. Like, <laughs> I would stop following sports. Yeah, I don't. That's what I was thinking to myself when Rajay Davis hit the home run and the Cubs tied it because. Leading up to that point, basically everybody thought the game was over at five to one, even though it was the Cubs. They're showing all these scenes of people celebrating and outside of Wrigley and all these happy Cubs fans in the stadium. And that's another thing I couldn't believe the uh, commented on this on Twitter. Uh, that was like Wrigley last night. Like there was so yeah. many Cubs fans there. That Fowler home run in the first inning, like the cheers, I couldn't believe it. Everybody in Cleveland apparently sold their tickets on StubHub. It was like a home game. It was crazy. And even Lester commented on that after the game. Yeah. Um, that was crazy, and they kept showing all those Cubs fans, and they're basically getting ready to pop the champagne. And then when when Chapman gives up the game tying homer, I'm like, if I'm a Cubs fan, I don't. I think I stopped watching baseball. Why would I put myself through this again? I felt that way after '03 for like a week when uh, the Boone homer. I re- really had. I went through a whole series of steps in my head. Like I don't know if I can do this again. And then you 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 <laughs> snap out of it after you know a week or so. You're like, what am I doing? Like. Yeah. Of course, I should. Training rolls around and yeah. has hope and everything else. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember like right afterwards. That's when they started talking about trading for A Rod. Yeah. And uh, I was like, Oh, A Rod. All right, he'll fit. And then it's like you, you, you're back. But there was a week post Boone where I, I, you know, you really go through all the steps of whether mentally it's worth it to go through this. Do you think that was the best baseball game of all time? Well, I mean, it's it's. I don't know. I, I didn't see it, obviously, because it was 19 years before I was born. But, you know, the Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world. you got to put that up there just because those are two rivals. I know it wasn't the World Series, but 
so much writhing on it and two teams that hate each other in the same city. Yeah. That was pretty big time, you know. That's a huge deal. But last night was a it was a good game. I mean, there's you're happy it wasn't one on like a, you know, some bonehead play. Nobody booted the ball. There wasn't a Buckner situation. You know, it, it was clean good clean baseball and the, and you know, the better team won, I think. So it was you know, you can question moves here or there, but you can do that about any game. So it was a very good game and given the circumstances, given the history, yeah, it's hard to argue. That's a good point. Thank God there wasn't a goat. I'm, yeah, I'm glad. Right. I hate when there's goats. And, and, and can, can Steve Bartman be welcomed back in the community of Chicago now? God, bring him back. They should put him on a float, for the love of God. Seriously. I mean, they should have had him throw out a first pitch or something. But Or they should have him throw out a first pitch in, at, the, at the game when they raised the banner. That's He's what got, they should do. Maybe they didn't want to taint him if they, he threw out the first pitch and they blew the series or something. But he should be welcomed back. Nobody's gotten a worse rap. I love, and had opportunities to like you know cash in on it and refused. He's just like a complete hermit. Yeah, I was gonna say I love how he's handled it. He's like, I'm not exploiting this in any way. I'm a giant Cubs right. fan, and I'm in I'm in real pain from what happened. Yeah. Even 13 years later, I just leave me alone. Yeah, they should let him throw out a first pitch when they raise the banner. That would be a good thing. It would have been amazing if he had done a Facebook live during the game. She's like, oh my God, there's Steve Bartman. He's live on Facebook. It would have been the biggest. I know, imagine that. that would biggest have been Facebook great. live. I think it was the greatest game of all time because of the two, the histories of the two teams, the game seven, the twists and turns. It had a lot of elements of great games from the past, like the managerial screw ups, mm-hmm. um, s- decisions earlier in the series affecting how this was going on. The Rajay Davis homer in the eighth. Right was like about 10 great historical homers, like very the Bernie Carbo homer in game six, 75, yep. and all the way through. It just had all these different pieces. And even in the 10th inning, they take the two-run lead, very similar to the game six, 1986, where the Red Sox go mm-hmm. up by two in the top of the 10th, but yet the you knew that the other team didn't have their best relievers anymore and that there was a chance for it to come back and... Um, I don't know. I, just, I it's just I don't think we're ever going to top that game. I don't see it. You know, they and Fox tried hard last night to jinx the Cubs because they flashed that. Like it said, the la, you know last time there was a two run lead in the tenth was a game a game seven and eighty a game right. six and eighty six, and then the Cubs. Uh, it wasn't in the World Series, I guess, but the Cubs Marlins in two thousand and three. So you're like, oh my god, like what's going to happen here? But you know, they well, get up the run and then they, you know shut it down. And I know the Cubs fans were complaining about Buck a little bit. But yeah. history history will remember his incredible jinx on Chapman in the eighth inning when he brought up the domestic violence scandal right <laughs> yeah. before, right as the Rajay Davis at bat was about to happen, and even as it right. was a couple pitches in. And I, I, when he did it, I was like, "Oh, Joe Buck, yeah. <laughs> Joe Buck making moves." And he, and then he grew up as a Cardinals fan, and he's you know he's a Cardinals guy, so yeah, you got to respect that. Yeah, it was something. Uh, just very quickly, and then we and then we have to move on to Kevin O'Connor. Are we going to have a President Trump? What do you think is going to happen? I do not think we're going to have a President okay. Trump. All right. I think we're going to have President Clinton Part Two. Okay. That's my. That's where I'd bet my my put my money. Put a lot of it on that too. Actually. How excited are you for this election to be over? <laughs> oh my God! I'm so excited. I. I. I just. It's. Yeah, I get amazingly excited for it to be over. You and I have known each other forever. I don't even I don't even text you about the election anymore. I know this is like no. th- one of the most traumatic uh, 
non non family moments like of your life. Out. Yeah, I've pretty much checked out since the last debate. Like, I don't even like. It's too depressing to even like read like political Twitter or whatever. Or go on. It's just like, if for a while it was like fun to bash Trump and and, and make fun of how crooked Hillary is and all that, but it's just so, when you really think about it, like, you know, what I said before the game last night, like, wow, either the Indians or the Cubs are going to be World Series champion. Like, on November 9th, either Hillary Clinton or Donald J. Trump are going to be our president for the next four years. And when you really have to sit down and contemplate that, it's it's really, really depressing. Well said. Johnny, a Speaking pleasure. Speaking of depressing, I, yeah. just, I know you have to go, and this will be quick, but c- can we talk about the, the bigger scandal that's hanging over both of our heads? What is it? The Gordy Lockbaum bobblehead gate. <laughs> now, the Holy Cross, our beloved alma mater, of course, you know, has probably like three really great athletes in its history: Kuzi Heinsohn and Gordy Lockbaum, who came in what second or third in the Heisman. He was the last guy to play both ways. Yeah, you know, from a small school, made huge noise. And so, Holy Cross, about a month ago, I followed their athletic department on Twitter. They tweet out that they're going to give away 1,500 Holy Cross bobbleheads at the at their football game, and I I retweeted it and said, "Oh, I really, really want one of these." And then you went over the top and said, "Me too," or something. And then because it was you know there was some delay in the shipping of the bobbleheads, so it was actually postponed to the following week. And then I kind of forgot about the bobbleheads as much as I wanted one. And then you came way over the top and sent a text to Joe House and I, what, like a week or two ago? Yeah. With a picture of your shiny purple and white Gordy Lockbaum bobblehead that the school has sent you yeah. on your bookshelf. Yeah. I mean, just, it's really, really tainted our relationship. It's just, I was so excited. I really wanted a Gordy Lockbaum bobblehead. And then you got one and just taunted us with it. So really, I think to save our relationship, you have no choice but to send that to me. I have I have great and incredible news for you that I was going to tell yeah. you on the podcast. They sent me two. Oh, oh my God! Thank God. Yeah. Do House and I have to like arm wrestle for no, it. No, you. It's you're the one. You're the one who tweeted it. House just doesn't get it. Yeah, they sent me two, and I and I'm oh. sending it to you. So oh, yeah, this is awesome. our relationship's great. This is great. I feel like I just had a third child. I'm so happy. This is good. House is on his own. He's got to get his own Gordy Lockbaum <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Bill. I'm glad to say that we can continue to be friends. Then. Hey, listen, man. appear on the podcast. So. Headed toward our 30-year anniversary. Jacko, always a pleasure. Excellent. Talk to you soon. Good times. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to call Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer to talk a little NBA in a second. But first, if you've ever seen anything we did in my office for Facebook Live, you probably noticed how nice my posters look because our friends at FrameBridge framed everything in there. They're the best. FrameBridge's experts custom frame your item in days, not weeks or months. They deliver your finished piece ready to hang. Go to framebridge.com. You can upload digital photos, Instagram photos, whatever you want. Their designers will even help you pick the perfect frames. They even offer a happiness guarantee. Instead of the hundreds you pay a framing store, zuh, their prices start at $39. All shipping is free. As you know, I am a Framebridge groupie. I love Framebridge. Find out why InStyle called them a genius site. Go to framebridge.com. Use promo code BS. You save an additional 15% off your first order. I just sent them another seven posters, including an incredible Nirvana poster that I can't wait to see how that looks when it's framed. Do your thing, FrameBridge. Again, FrameBridge.com, promo code BS. And also, our friends at Squarespace make it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat, regardless of skill level. No coding needed. Not only does Squarespace provide easy-to-use tools 
Squarespace's state-of-the-art technology ensures security and stability. Millions of people, some of the world's most respected brands, trust Squarespace. You should too. You get 24-7 online support. You can even design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates and customizable settings. And with Squarespace Commerce, you get all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, send custom emails in one intuitive interface. Start a free trial today. No credit card required. Squarespace.com. Use offer code BS and you get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace.com. Offer code BS. All right, let's call Kevin O'Connor. All right, I hope you've read him on TheRinger.com. He's one of our lead NBA columnists. Every Monday, he writes a weekly column that includes a lead and then another segment called Seven Segments or Less. And he writes a whole bunch of stuff during the week. And he's a Boston guy. I don't know how we had him met before this year. Kevin O'Connor, how are you? <laughs> Bill, I'm happy to be with The Ringer and with you on the podcast today. All right. We're, you've, uh, you've been doing great stuff for us. I wanted to check in with you every once in a while on the BS podcast to figure out what the hell is going on in the NBA. You're on the Ringer NBA show with Chris Vernon sometimes, so I'm kind of I'm kind of on his corner stealing you every once in a while, but what is your number one storyline right now? We're nine days into the season. What has surprised, shocked, delighted you the most? So for me, it's Joel Embiid's early season performance. The way he's performing right now is kind of what I expected from him in February or March towards the end of the year. Yeah. But he looks like the guy that... I think everybody kind of dreamed up, right? There's not a lot of guys who are seven foot two and as nimble as he is. Brett Brown called him Shaq with soccer feet, and that right. comparison makes a lot of sense in some ways. Just how he flat out plows through people. Yeah, um, Marcin Marcin Gortat is nicknamed the Polish Hammer for good reason, but Embiid made Gortat look a, look like a very small man. And just it's not just the brute strength; it's the advanced moves that Embiid uses on the post and. Never mind the post, it's the pick and roll. Like There's just not a lot of guys that, when he sets a clean screen, who can finish with power at the rim or with finesse, but he can also pop and shoot it. I just think he has incredible potential, and we're, we're just seeing flashes of it right now. It's just surprising that we're seeing it so soon. So in the spring of 2014, I watched him work out. They invited me. He was working out in some tiny gym in Santa Monica, and I wrote about it. I, I was staggered. I was like, what is this? What am I watching? The seven three guy who who moves like a guard and it was it was like somebody took Hakeem Olajuwon and stretched him out but kept the athleticism. And I left that gym and I was like, This guy has to be the number one pick. Like there's no way he's not the number one pick. It's this this guy could be a once in a generation center. And he got hurt like a week or two later. And you knew how talented he was because he still went third. The Celtics were trying to trade. They had the sixth pick that year, which ended up being Marcus Smart. They were trying to trade the sixth pick and the Brooklyn pick to move up to three to take Embiid, even though he was hurt. You know, And then you see what happened over the next year or so, and you think, oh, man, this is Greg Oden all over again. But then watching him, I had the same reaction you did. I was like, oh, my God. You know, and, and for what kind of, where the league has gone from a style of play, He's kind of the perfect pick and roll center, right? Because if he's going to roll and you lob the ball up, and he's seven foot three with those long arms and his athleticism, I'm not positive how you stop it. I don't know what the answer is. What do you think? No, exactly. And if you drop on the pick and roll and you try to prevent the lob, he can still pop and shoot threes over you. And if you close out on those threes, he's nimble enough that he can drive the closeout and get to the rim. Right. He's just one of those guys that I think no matter how you defend him. 
it'll be difficult to stop him. And what? I know he hasn't had many assists early this season, but at Kansas, he really was a good passer towards yeah. the end of the season. So I think that'll be unleashed at some point. And so like down the line, if you're going to double him, he's going to beat you with the pass too. What was your reaction in that first game when he was facing up against Steven Adams and beating him off the dribble? I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like I said with Gortat, like Gortat's a tough guy, and so is Steven Adams. And yet this guy who hasn't played uh, organized game besides preseason in over two years is beating up Steven Adams. It's just even on the shots he missed, he was getting good positioning. Right. And it's kind of the process you look. I mean, no pun intended because that's his nickname, but it's the process you, you look at with Embiid. And it, right now it's just a matter of him getting up to NBA speed and adapting to the game, um, the physicality of the game. And that, that'll come over time. Like When you consider what he was at the beginning of his freshman year at Kansas, he did not use the Hakeem Olajuwon dream shake on the low post. He was really raw on the defensive end. But by the end of the year... The dude was a stud. Yeah. So I'm wondering if he experiences the same rate of improvement as a rookie in the NBA as he did a freshman at Kansas. One of the reasons we hired you because you're a hardworking psychopath who did a giant college draft guide every year with all the <laughs> prospects. So you were you were monitoring all this stuff. You're not nearly old enough to remember Hakeem Olajuwon. Mm. There was a, a 30 for 30 recently, Faisalama Jama, which dove into the Houston teams that he played on didn't really go into Hakeem nearly enough, in my opinion, because a little bit like Embiid, Hakeem was a freak. Like He he had started playing basketball when he was 15. He'd been playing soccer his whole childhood and just kind of picked up basketball and the waves of improvement that he he made year by year to the point that he became the number one pick over Michael Jordan, and nobody said anything. And even now, you think like, oh, Michael Jordan wasn't the number one pick in the draft. That's crazy. Nobody's ever criticized that pick. You know, and I think with mm-hmm. Embiid, just watching him, I went to I went to that college classic and when Kansas played, what was Kansas was there, Duke was there, um, the Julius Randle's team, Kentucky. Remember that one? They had the it was like a doubleheader, yep. and Embiid was yep. so, Embiid was so raw in that game, and even during the season, watching him get better. I don't know what the ceiling is for him. Do you think he has the highest ceiling? of any under-25 player in the league, or would you go with Towns or Davis, somebody like that? I think he's a better prospect than Towns, and I, and I think Towns might be the second-best prospect above, above Davis. I, I just look at Embiid's upside on both ends of the floor. Yeah, Town, Towns is incredible, um, but I think Embiid has that other dimension where you can put him inside as well. I think yeah. he's a better low-post player than, than Towns is, and granted, the low-post I mean, doesn't have the same importance in today's NBA but Embiid at seven foot two with his quickness and his strength, maybe it does have that level of importance that it did in the past with him, whereas it doesn't with other guys. Do you think they have a responsibility to get an above average point guard to put with him? Because I, I think it's unfair when you have a young big man like this who has this much promise to saddle him with guys who don't, you know, who aren't above average and. They have the trade assets. They have Okafer. They have Noel. One of those guys needs to go anyway, especially if Ben Simmons ends up coming back in January. They have a natural trade to make. We could go through all the rosters and figure out a point guard, but don't you think they have some obligation to get him somebody who knows what he's doing? Yeah, I think they they absolutely need a traditional point guard. I mean, Simmons will probably be their their quote-unquote point guard, but 
I still think they need a smaller guy in the traditional role um, to play the position, and preferably if he's a good spot-up shooter, that way he can play off of Simmons because Simmons Simmons off ball I don't think will be very good, um, at least to start his career. Right. But it's about finding the right pairing with that roster. I think they have a lot of the pieces that you look for with Embiid and Saric. I like Rashawn Holmes a lot. Um, maybe trade Okafor for a point guard down the line. I like Robert Covington. It's the really, I think that's, I don't want to say the final piece, but it's one of the main pieces they need to look for. Well, it all comes down to crunch time and what five guys make sense together. This is something the Thunder never figured out during the Durant-Westbrook era. They never figured out that fifth guy to put out there with them. It's the same problem the Clippers have had for six years. Who's the fifth guy? Mm -hmm. And you look at, you know, Embiid and Simmons. Can you play Saric with them in crunch time? Could you have those three guys out there? I'm not positive. I think you need two shooters, and you need a point guard. If if you're going to have Simmons as the point forward, then you need some sort of point guard who could play off the ball, right? You need somebody like uh, mm-hmm. somebody who could space, like a George Hill type. Not Utah's happy with George Hill, but somebody like that who can guard the other team's point guard and yet play off the ball offensively. I think that's a lot of pressure to put on Ben Simmons, though. Because what if he's not a point forward? What if he's just a power forward? I, I don't totally know what he is yet, and we really haven't... We saw him play, what, 25 LSU games, and it was a mess. And we haven't seen him play this year. I don't really know what we have with him. What do you think we have with him? Well, I think I think you're kind of touching on what will eventually maybe be the conversation with Ben Simmons, is the fact that he could be your point forward, and he might be a super effective passer and playmaker for your team, especially in transition, but he still is a complete non-threat off the ball. Like, I, yeah. I can totally see teams defending him, like giving him the Tony Allen treatment, where they yeah. just ignore him when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And that's going to give problems to the Sixers down the line when they're trying to win games. I mean, they are trying to win now, but especially when they actually have a competitive roster. It could be the type of thing where down the line we're saying, oh, why is it that they're better without Simmons in the game? It doesn't right. seem like they should be better, but they are. And I think that unless he improves his jumper, which can't rule it out, I don't necessarily think it'll happen for many reasons, but uh, I think it's very possible that down the line we're thinking about how, for some reason, the Sixers are just better without Simmons, like so many teams have been better without Rondo over the past couple of years. Right. Well, I, I think... It's really hard for me to write somebody's jump shot off when they're 20. Kawhi's a really good example. Kawhi fell yep. to the, what, the 15th pick because he couldn't shoot, allegedly. And then it turns out he spent all summer in the gym and he's also a robot and they just reprogrammed the chip in his back and all of a sudden he could shoot. <laughs> I, I'm not ruling out Simmons being able to shoot. I think they're in a really tough spot, though, because when you have too many people out of position and the other teams know you have to trade, and then on top of that, you're in a sport now where people are only playing one big man, you know, and and mm-hmm. maybe there's 30 big men that really need to play 30 minutes a game in the NBA at this point. And I don't know. I, I think if this was 1986, they'd have a lot easier of a time trading Okafor. I also think you could steal Okafor right now. You know, I, they'll want to get something for him, but I, I think he's going to be the odd man out. The more and beats still on a minutes limit at some point, that's going to change. And Okafor is going to be the loser because I don't see how you play those. Do you see any way you play those two guys together? I don't. I don't necessarily see it working. But with Okafor, do you see him as somebody that? I mean, you mentioned in the '80s it would be easy to trade him. It probably would have been maybe even just ten years ago. But 
today, do you see him as somebody who can really beat up benches, like the, the opposing bench? Because there's not a lot of necessarily great defenders off the bench, and he's a great low-post player. Right. Where it would minimize his defensive weaknesses, um, using him as a bench kind of weapon. Well, I think the motto is Cantor, right? You yeah. think like how OKC uses Cantor, and he comes in for these nine-minute stretches per half, and he shoots 65% and you know gets to the foul line, all that stuff. I would think that's the model. Now, that's not that's not great if somebody's the number three pick in the draft, especially when Porzingis was the next pick. I think we can right. already say they kind of whiffed on that one because I, I I would much rather have Porzingis. And I, I think when you look at the Hinky era, that's one of the moments, even though the process, like the spirit of it, I think was the right thing, they still whiffed on a couple picks. And if you care only about upside and you don't care about results, I, I just think Porzingis, you know, they, there was a real case to be made for that. Now, I think if they had taken him, I, I think people would have gone apeshit if Okafor oh, yeah. dropped to four. <laughs> so it wasn't as easy as it sounds now. I really wonder where Okafor goes. I, I think the Celtics would make a move on him. You know, I, I, I do feel like they're kind of watching that one. And that's the kind of guy. possible. Yeah, that's the kind of guy. They don't have somebody like him. You know, there's a couple other teams that I think he makes sense for. Minnesota, I think he would make sense for. Uh, Houston, I think he would make sense. You could go down the line. There's 10 rosters that could use a guy like him. But I don't, it's going to be hard. They're probably going to have to take picks back. You know, I don't think there's a match for a player. You mentioned um, the the pick by Hinky. I wonder how much of that was was him making the pick because it doesn't seem like a Hinky pick to me based off his track record. I, or how right. much of it was ownership going with the safe pick, which you could understand, like you said, because it would have went crazy if it was was Porzingis. By the way, I I think Okafor is a great value. Like, I would totally be trying to trade for him if I was a GM. We don't we have no idea how good he is. That team he was on last year was a, was a dumpster fire. You know, and coming mm-hmm. out of Duke, everyone's like, hey. We don't know if he's if he's going to be liability defensively, but this is a guy who can score in the low post. Period. There's seven of these guys in the whole league, so I wonder, you know, if he ends up on a different team and he ends up thriving, that also looks bad for Philly. the The fear of having somebody come back to haunt you in a trade ends up prohibiting almost all of these trades, <laughs> you know. But I, yeah. I I do think there's a world in which because I I think Boogie's going. I just think we're headed that way. And maybe there's a world in which there's a three-team deal where Okafor and some other stuff ends up going to Sacramento and Boogie goes somewhere and then, you know, Philly gets pieces or something. What uh, You had three other storylines you were going to talk about. Let's, go th- let's run through them quickly. What second? So the second one is just the start of the Chicago Bulls. I thought they would be just terrible out of the gate, and I was dead wrong. They're 3-1 and one right now. I, I'm not confident they'll sustain the success. But they added two ball-dominant players in Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade to Jimmy Butler, who's already a ball-dominant player, and yet it's working. They're, they're actually been really impressive. They're moving the ball. They're top five in assist percentage. They're actually executing Fred Hoiberg's motion offense. Um, the Rondo-Wade-Butler lineup has actually outscored opponents by nearly eight points per 100 possessions. I don't know if this will sustain. I really kind of still don't think it will. But I never thought that they would come out with the start that they have. Right. The Rondo, aging Rondo, and he's not aging, but I, I guess second half of his career Rondo or whatever, is going to be a really interesting player because he's so freaking smart. 
you know, mm-hmm. and you look at some of the teams he's been on the last few years, he hasn't been on a team really since those 2010 through 2012 Celtics where he had other high IQ guys on the floor with him, you know, and I guess you could say, all right, mm-hmm. well, what about Dallas? That was a mess. Like, you know, you had Carlisle barking out plays from the sideline and, <laughs> You know, Rondo playing off the ball, that was never going to work. Once you, once you watch five games of it, you're like, oh, this is a disaster. I'm really interested to see how he goes during this season. I, You know, it's a guy who, in game four of the 2010 Cleveland series, when they're down two to one, what did he put up, like a 29, 17, 18? And he was yeah, the best player in that series. Like, this is a guy who was the best player in a series that had LeBron James in it. So, uh, that what that have, wasn't that long ago. No, no. And, and he's somebody who... He's such a good athlete. It's hard for me to believe that he's just going to fade out at the, at the tail end of his prime. I do think he's a he was a really interesting free agent gamble and somebody that really depended on what team he went to. What do you have for your third story? So kind of just the start of the Lakers. I'm really impressed by Luke Luke Walton installing his system so early. Guys are really buying in in the half court. I, I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine they're at least in the top half in offensive efficiency in the half court. Um, the young guys are performing really, really well, and I think the Lakers can be a lot closer to being good than people think. Not, it won't happen this season, but maybe one free agent signing away from being a com- pretty competitive team with their young guys, the rate of improvement we're seeing from D'Angelo Russell. Julius Randle looks much better this year. Yeah. Larry Nance is still awesome to watch. They, they're just, they've been really fun to watch early on this year. Did you love Ingram coming out of college? What were your thoughts on him? So I had Ingram ahead of Simmons. Yeah. Um, primarily because I just think he was a generally an easier guy to build around because he doesn't have the weak jump shot, and I think he's a much better passer and playmaker than he gets credit for. Yeah. Um, so I had him one. So I did like him a lot. Uh, obviously, he does have his weaknesses, and he's – very thin. He's going to take a while, but I, I think long term he's, he's going to be a really, really good NBA player. You know, and Randall was another one that I think people just forgot he was good. You know, <laughs> he broke his leg. It happens. Yeah, game one or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you have for your four storyline? Kevin Love. They're using him like a superstar. I, I thought maybe this would be another year, the third year in a row, where he was kind of just the third wheel, but. This year he's actually second on the team of the big three in usage percentage. Um, they really are feeding him the ball. I think it's nice to see. They, in some ways, it seems like they've kind of figured out how to use him. Yeah. I don't know if this will happen over the course of the season, but early on I'm liking the way they're using him, and I'm very interested to see what happens. That was the biggest reason House and I went for the over on Cleveland for 57 as one of our locks because – I don't think people realized Kevin Love, the, the dislocated shoulder, was it broken, separated? What do you have? Dislocated? It was dislocated, right? Dislocated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't able to work out all summer, and he lost too much weight. And I remember Roy Hibbert, we were doing uh, test shows for my HBO show and talking to Roy Hibbert about different things, and he was just saying, like, for some reason we were talking about Kevin Love, and he was like, Kevin Love, he just lost too much weight. I could shove him around. And, the, you know, it was like four <laughs> years ago. I couldn't push him out of the paint. Like he would get, he would sneak around you and you just couldn't get rid of him. And now you just shove him out of the way. It was clear he wasn't right. Uh, he was basically a supporting piece. I think the way he handled it was really impressive. But uh, 
you know, everything I read this, this summer and this, and, you know, heading into the season was this guy got in awesome shape again. This guy put muscle back on this guy. can't believe how much better he feels now that he can work out. You look at that and then you look at LeBron, who I still think, you know, I think there's an MVP run in him that's going to center around the totality of the stats. And I think he's trying to every game do the 2010 and 10 or the 2012 and 12, (laughs) things like that. And love is a big asset for that. You know, he can ride love and, and Kyrie and set those guys up, be a little point forward. I'm with you. I, to me, the safest bet for the highest win total this year is the Cavs, don't you think? Like, I've totally flipped oh, yeah, on that. I, I agree. Yeah, I thought the Warriors I, I were going to win 68. Now I think with, with the way this Cavs team looks and, and how comfortable they are with each other, I'd be shocked if they didn't win 65 games. What would you say? What would your number be right now for them? I'm I'm on the same ballpark as you, Bill. Uh, and you mentioned LeBron kind of taking on more of that 2010 and 10 role. We're finally seeing him kind of do that. We're seeing him take on the Magic Johnson role, where he's more of a playmaker this year. And I mean, it's fun to watch so far. And I'm I'm very interested to see if that sustains, though, just because in the past it seems like Kevin Love has always been the guy that's gotten pushed out. Yeah. And I just wonder if at some point it reverts back to that. I hope it doesn't though, because I'm really enjoying watching this edition of the Cavaliers. But I'm in the same ballpark with you, Bill, as uh, the win total. Yeah, it's way too early to really make a proclamation about anything with the Warriors, but I do worry yeah. about Clay Thompson being the one that's going to get pushed out here. Just there's been there's been signs early. That team was built around Steph and Clay for three four years. And now it's built around Stephen Durant and everybody's like, no, no, Clay's going to get his shots. And it's like, he's Kyle Korver, you know, <laughs> he's, he's there to space the floor. And I, I really wonder how he's going to handle that. If it keeps going that way. It's just going to be amazing to see how the shot distribution or even the playmaking distribution kind of falls out with them. Because early on this year, I expected to see more pick and rolls run with Kevin Durant, but yep. they haven't done many of them at all early on. Um, will there be a point where they do kind of unleash that that Durant pick and roll with Curry setting the screen? Because we haven't seen much of it at all at all early on. I don't. I the Zaza thing, I just don't see lasting. <laughs> he, he was somebody who really played poorly the last four months of last season, and mm-hmm. it's hard for me to believe that that's going to be the solution in May and June for them. If you remember that first Miami year, the Carlos Arroyo started at point guard the first couple months for them. Joel Anthony was playing big minutes, and then eventually they settled into the the nucleus that they had, and those guys weren't big parts of it. It's hard for me to believe Zaza is going to be heavily involved with this whole thing, and I really think their destiny has to be Durant and Draymond as the two big guys. I I think that the quote-unquote lineup of death it's going to have to be Durant, and Durant's going to have to protect the rim night to night in ways that he's never really done it before. We've seen him do it in playoff series, but Draymond and Durant are going to have to be the rim protectors, and I, I don't know. It makes me a tiny bit nervous for the Warriors. What do you think? And the difficult thing is if their center isn't on the roster right now, what do they give up to find that center? And yeah. is that center out there on the market for them? You know, we Jarks did a piece on Dwayne Dedman for us on the ringer. That's somebody that he, he killed the Celtics in a game once 
those those guys seem to be out there kind of looking for a team from time to time, you know? Yeah. It's like, it was like, who is this guy? This guy's something. Why is he the third string center in Orlando? And, uh, you know, it's like they need somebody like that. They were lucky enough to draft Azili, but uh, I don't. I I I don't feel like this Warriors roster that we're watching right now is going to be the nine man playoff rotation that they're going to have in June. I think there's two pieces they don't have yet, and I don't know where they're going to get those pieces, and I don't know how ambitious they're going to be. They might they might wait too long, but I think they know it. You know, I think McCaw is somebody that. You, you liked him in college. That was one of your sleepers, right? Yep. I like him a lot. That's somebody they're going to need. They need that one more. And, you know, the other thing, haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, and we'll see tonight what, what happens if Westbrook catches fire. But I'm not positive Iggy's in his prime anymore. I think he's at a different stage of his career. And if they can't rely on him to guard the other team's best defensive play, best offensive player every two nights in the playoffs... That's another obstacle for them. There, there's, it's super early, but man, there, there's. I, I didn't think I'd have this many tiny question marks about this team. Did you? I had concerns about the center position. Um, that, that's maybe a little bit more concerning for me right now than I expected it to be. I thought yeah. Zaza would be a little bit better early on, but as you said, last four months of last season, he was really, really bad, and that's just carried over. Um, but I, I don't know what the answer is for them. Part of me wonders if the answer could be Damian Jones, their rookie center from Vanderbilt. Mm. A long term down the line, he's a versatile defender. He can switch pick and rolls. Maybe he's the guy by the end of the year, but not right now, right? Yeah. Um, not early on in the season, but he's the guy I kind of, if they don't make a move for somebody, that if I'm a Warriors fan, I'd be hoping that Damian Jones gets an opportunity just to see what he's got. Well, this is a good season to need somebody who can protect the rim because there's there's somewhat of a glut right now in the league. I think they're going to be able to find mm-hmm. somebody. Kevin O'Connor, check you out on the ringer, uh, especially your Monday column that is going to be the signature column you write and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And we can also listen to you on the Ringer NBA show. A pleasure, as always, say hi everybody to Massachusetts for me. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, Bill. All right, we're going to call Joe House to do the Callaway Part 3. But first... Please stop wasting money on on expensive takeout. Please? Can you stop, please? What if you signed up with Blue Apron? For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron will deliver you all the fresh ingredients you need for a delicious home-cooked meal. They have the highest standards for ingredients. They build a community of home chefs that has no rival. Every month they change their meals. Some of the meals available in November include pan-seared chicken with roasted fall vegetables and butter caper sauce. Spicy lotus root and purple carrot stir-fry with sweet potato noodles. Lemongrass roasted pork with Romanesco cauliflower and coconut rice. Wow. I'm taping this in the morning and this is still making me hungry somehow. Get your first three meals for free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash BS. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, here's house. All right, last but not least... The man who predicted in 1987 that the Cubs would win in 2016. No, he actually didn't do that. Joe House, how are you? Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't have anything to do with the Cubs or any prediction because uh, my my current stink streak, I would hate to be responsible for for any continued bad luck befalling the Cubs. I, I know get... you talk... 
Go ahead. I was going to say, I should get a World Series ring. I got some TMZ guy came up to me when I was getting a sandwich a couple days ago. He's like, who do you think is going to win the World Series? I was like, I don't know. The Indians? They're, they have a lead? They have better pitching? And uh, <laughs> and I think I think it was a nice reverse jinx I put on the Indians. Thank You're welcome, well, you, Cubs fans. You also invited me to, to join a small uh, wager that I was happy to participate in. Oh, the Indians On bet. the Indians. Yeah. Right, because I, I feel like I did my small part. Uh, also, to make the Cubs, it was know, the right help. bet. We didn't, we didn't know Kluber and Miller were going to finally run out of gas. Which I, I guess we, if we had talked about it long enough, we could have expected. It. As it turned out, everyone ran out of gas. There was just no gas left in any of the tanks. Uh, let's I'm talk- fine with that. I, that game was exactly everything I could have hoped for. It, it was actually way more than I could have hoped for. Is that the greatest baseball game of your lifetime? Yes. Okay. Without a doubt. Without hesitation. Yeah. Uh, every week we do the Callaway Par 3 for football. We changed the format last week, and we teamed up. You do a pick. I do a pick. We do a group pick. We went 2-1. and one. We're 1 under par, and we're going to try to get to 10 under par by the end of the season. I was proud of us last week. And by the way, you, 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 you cost us our one bogey with the Chargers, but that was a great pick. They first down and goal to go from the 2. And I don't know, they were right in the game. It came down to the last two minutes. They're getting, what, five and a half points? That was the right pick. I have no regrets. Yeah, my only regret is is putting anything into the hands of Mike McCoy. I got a very bad feeling in my stomach when uh, on first down, Phillip Rivers is lining up in shotgun from the, from, from the one-yard line. Why do teams do that? Just, just have the quarterback under center, spread the receivers out, and and do a handoff against a six-man front. Like, just, I don't understand why they overthink it like this. And and they threw every down on that series, but all right. Water under the bridge. I watched, and I didn't enjoy it. Give us your, uh, you get one, I get one, and then we make a group one. Give us your pick for week nine. This week I like very much the Denver Broncos. I've seen it a couple different ways. I've seen them getting one point, and I've also seen it as pick em. I think it's going to settle at pick em. Uh at least that, that's the way it's looking at the moment. I have, a, I love I have going, Raiders by one right now, so let's stay Raiders, that. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. The idea of, of Denver getting points mm. from the Raiders. The, the Jekyll and Hyde act that is the Oakland Raiders this season, they've been, as, as we recognized last week, we talked about taking them, perfect on the road, um, but very lackluster at home. Yeah. Denver owns... Oakland in this series, 9-0 and straight up, 7-1-1 against the spread over the last nine games. And I just think, you know, there is very little home field advantage for, for the Raiders. It's been demonstrated, not because the fans are bad, but because for whatever reason they don't play well there. Um, Denver's the better of these two teams, and in a pick em or, or Denver getting points, I feel pretty good about taking the Broncos. And the other thing, the Raiders, as as – Lovable and exciting as they've been, and I really enjoyed them. And I think you know Kevin Clark wrote a piece in the Ringer this week, ranking all the Red Zone t- Channel teams. Had them number one, not a surprise. Week after week, they're super exciting. Last week's game was a classic. Um, the problem for them, they're just sloppy. They make mistakes. They get dumb penalties. They had twenty three penalties last week, which was a record. The Broncos are kind of the opposite. They they just you know they're like the technically sound boxer that doesn't make mistakes doesn't get hit that much they have a very good defense they control the ball they try to control the clock I think for that reason it's a bad matchup for the Raiders it's just that that the wrong team for them to play now if the Raiders win this um, 
I, I, I think they're a legitimate contender in the AFC because I don't love the Patriots defense, as you know. But I, I, I can't fully believe in the Raiders unless they win this game. And I, I'm with you. I don't think they will. My pick is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are laying one and a half points against the Ravens. Sal and I did the podcast on Monday. At that point, the Ravens were favored by two and a half points. Um, I made my case for how there was no way Ben Roethlisberger wasn't playing in the game. He's, he has shown over and over in his career a tendency to be able to come back way earlier than people expected from injuries ranging from really bad to somewhat bad to not that bad. He always comes back early. I think he's going to play this week. I think Vegas thinks he's going to play this week because the line swung four points and the Steelers are now one and a half point favorites in Baltimore. I don't like the Baltimore team. I don't think they have any really above average skill possession guys at all. I don't like the way Flacco's played this year. They lost to the Jets two weeks ago before they had a bye week. They've already changed their offensive coordinator. And, I, you know, it's it in a weird way, a little bit of a must win for the Steelers because they're only four and three. They have Dallas the next week. They still have an Indianapolis Thursday game. They're at Buffalo. They're at Cincy. They have to play Baltimore again. They can't really screw around anymore. I think this is a playoff game for them, and I just think they're better. What do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I love playing the Joe Joe Flacco is he elite game. Um, so far this season, Joe Flacco not elite, and uh, I feel like you know the Jack, speaking of Jekyll and Hyde acts, Pittsburgh. You know uh, the last couple seasons has um, had a couple of those stinkers in its back pocket. The stinker that it broke out against uh, the Dolphins, the stinker against the Eagles. Yeah. But then they come out in games like this and get rolling. The only thing that gives me slight pause over time, Baltimore has owned this series at home, the Ravens. But I don't fear this iteration of the Ravens. You me just neither. made the point. There's there's nobody at any skill position that you say, wow. The only thing that that you know again would give me pause is the defense and and how personally the Ravens take this uh, rivalry, which it always makes for a, a good game between these two teams, but. We both love the idea of a basically even matchup here. Even Pittsburgh giving one, one and a half, that's fine. I'm in on Pittsburgh with you on that one. Yeah, I screwed up. That was our joint pick. I still have my pick. So before I give my pick, why don't you tell us about Callaway for a second? I'm actually call. You called me today. I'm, I'm in San Diego. I got to experience the fantastic collaboration between Callaway and the San Diego Padres, the Lynx at Petco Park. Mm. Um, there's going to be a ton of media coming up over the next couple of days and then on into um, the following week showing you how cool this uh, conversion of the baseball stadium into a nine-hole um, golf outing. And uh, there's a lot of cool themes. I actually played. I played with a couple ringer guys yesterday. I heard you won. I I was happy. I mean, you know, among that group, I think I'm the only one with a golf podcast. So I'm glad that right. I actually, you had some street you know, street cred to protect. Exactly. Um, uh, but it's a really cool thing. So check out the Callaway Media, and and maybe you know, there's talk. Maybe this thing can go to to some other venues. I mean, Fenway mm. would be a pretty unbelievable place to do this. I'm gonna guess you're available for any venue it goes to. Me? Yes, I'm always available. Okay. You sound a little hungover, by the way. Anything you want to tell us? <laughs> I'm in San Diego, and I played, you know, two rounds on that on the link to Petco Park. It was wonderful. And then you watched the World Series. I don't even want to know what happened to you last night. All right, here's I did watch the World Series. Here's uh, here's my pick: Eagles 
plus two and a half at Giant Stadium. I like this Eagles team. I thought they really did a nice job against Dallas, and they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against a very good Dallas team. Their defense is excellent. Amazingly, they're number one in Football Outsiders DVOA, even though I think they have like the 23rd offense or something. I mean, it's been a really wonky DVOA year, but their defense is very good. They have a very good pass rush. I've watched this Giants team. They've had trouble protecting Eli. They've had trouble running the ball. They've had trouble making plays. They've had trouble moving the ball and scoring points. And I don't really think the Giants have a, a home field advantage. I don't think I think they're like the Raiders to me. It doesn't doesn't seem like it matters where they play. And if anything, they're they're sometimes a little bit more effective on the road. This has all the makings, all the makings of the Eli stink bomb. I feel it. I can smell it from three thousand miles away. I woke up this morning. I was sniffing around. Like, what is that? Did one of my dogs poop on the floor? No. It's the Eli stink bomb. I think it's coming. I'm taking the Eagles plus two and a half. What do you think? Well, you didn't even know. I, you know, I like to dig out these nuggets. Your your Eli stink bomb is right on the money and backed up by the analytics. Eli Manning one and eight, one and eight at home against Philadelphia, both straight up and against the spread in the last time matchups. So you you know you could you could smell <laughs> what the Eli is cooking, and it does not smell good. <laughs> uh Quick, give me one basketball thought before we go. NBA season, it's like nine days in. One thing that jumped out to you. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. The Russell Westbrook World Domination Tour yeah. arrives at Arco Arena tonight for the matchup against... It's not Arco uh, Arena. It's, uh, it's not called... Oracle. Ar- the Oracle. Oracle Arena. Oracle. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So old. If you have a Bloody uh, Mary or something... He's taking on the trader, Kevin Durant. It's going to, I mean, <laughs> anything's possible, right? He could score 75 points tonight. I think he's going to take a lot of field goal attempts would be one of my takeaways for this game. <laughs> That's your prediction? Yeah, I think he's going, going to have the ball out in his hands, and he's going to be full speed. I, I'm not positive he's going to come out. I think 48 minutes is in play. I, You know, this OKC team is flawed as hell. They can't shoot. Yeah. They just traded no. for another guy who couldn't shoot. And yet, right. they have a bunch of competitive adults who play really hard, led by the completely insane. Them. Yeah, they led by the completely insane Russell Westbrook. Adams has gone to another level. Oladipo is going to be a hit or miss, but he plays hard. Everyone on this team plays hard. And night to night to night to night, I think they're, they're going to be good. I've, I've enjoyed them too. I'm surprised. I was flicking back and forth with the Bulls, and I was surprised by how, uh, how professional they looked. And, you know, what well, it was an off night for them from a shooting standpoint, but uh, their defense is much better this year. The team seems to fit. Remember we had so much trouble in the over-unders trying to figure out whether the Bulls were going to be good or not. I think the Bulls are actually going to be good. I, th- I think they have a chance like to be a top-four seed. Not only did we talk ourselves into the Bulls, and, and just on the point you made that it's a professional basketball team, yeah. um, you know, the, the Butler playing with, uh, Rondo and Wade and Wade as a natural alpha dog there lends a semblance of uh, stability. Uh, you know, that's just the, the the basketball IQ of the whole team goes up by having um, those three guys playing together, and it offsets whatever the Hoiberg effect may be. I actually invested a decent amount of capital in the Bulls over. Mm. I mean, I, I ended up loving the Bulls right as the season began, and I feel like that that's not a bad. Uh, Pick. I mean, they one, lost last night because Amir Johnson made four threes. I I, I'll live with that. And one thing I think we underestimated, it's starting to trickle out this week already. They're all talking about how 
much better the locker room is. And the sure. chemistry's better. I think Rose and Noah, I think that was a real problem last year with Butler. And and I, and I bet that starts trickling out more and more as the season goes. It just seems like a happier basketball team. What's been your favorite league pass team so far? The Lakers. I just yeah. have been so stunned by the energy, I guess is the only thing I'll say. We talked about it just a smidge last week as well. I just, yeah. Luke, Luke Walton, it's a, it's a whole different basketball team. It's like they dropped it. They took a team from uh, Mongolia and dropped it in LA of, of brand new human beings with no history or anything. Right. And it's just a, such a different feel altogether. I just, I just like watching them. They're fun to watch. I agree. The baby Lakers have stolen the show in the first nine, nine days. It's like they went through a chemistry car wash. And you know, we love Julius Randle in college. He we broke, did. he broke his leg in his first NBA game. And I read a story about him uh, last week, actually about how, that broken leg, to no surprise, really effed him up. And it it took him two years. I guess he jumped off his right leg. Some people jump off their left. Some people jump off their right. And he was jumping off both legs last season because he didn't feel totally comfortable in his, in, in his, uh, in his bones yet. And he said this year he's jumping off his right leg, and that's why he seems so much more explosive. But, man, they have some good basketball players. And you forget, they've been picking in the top – and they, you know, Randall was, I think, the seventh pick. Russell was the second pick. Brandon Ingram's the second pick. Like when you're drafting blue chippers for three straight years, it's probably going to translate into some success. So, yeah, and is Larry Jan- Larry Nance Jr. going to be a revelation? Yeah, I think he's good. That might have been a steal. Yeah, yeah right? I'm with you. The baby Lakers. All right, House. Uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you more in more detail next week. Safe travels. Uh, good luck Appreciate nursing it. your home over. Uh, you, good, good luck uh, nursing your hangover. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much to Stamps.com. Stop relying on the post office. Just buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. I just did this. And I printed out a stamp from Stamps.com. Sign up for Stamps.com. Use the promo code BS for a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BS. Thank you so much to Callaway. And thanks to Pearl Jam. Check out PearlJam.com. They are celebrating PJ25, their 25th anniversary, all year. And all next year, most of next year, too. And we're going to be playing a whole bunch of uh, Pearl Jam songs as our intro and outro music for this podcast, including Yellow Better, which I think is going to be the outro song for every song we do and why not it's one of the best thanks to the ringer nba show and ringer university featuring all the best podcasts about the nba college hoops and college football thanks to hbo any given wednesday wednesday nights 10 p.m thanks to the ringer check it out thanks to pearl jam back next uh back on monday congratulations cubs fans